0: Thank you for downloading this podcast from the Traverse Theatre, Edinburgh. We now join the theatre's Associate Director and your host, Hamish Pirrie. Hello and welcome to this month's Travcast. The Travcast is a monthly conversation where I get the opportunity to sit in a room with a writer almost better smell their breath and get to know what makes them tick this month I'm really excited to have a writer who writes for theatre and radio only he's written over 30 plays he made a choice to come up and live in Scotland in 2006 his first theatre company that he created was called Silver Tongue he's been on attachment at the West Yorkshire Playhouse and the Traverse Theatre he has had his plays on in almost every theatre in Scotland, to name a couple, and Moore, the Tron Theatre, Dundee Rep, Visible Fictions, McRobert, and has most recently worked with Vox Motors on the wonderful success that came here, The Dragon. Ollie, Emmanuel, welcome.
1: Hi. How are you? I'm very well, thanks, yeah,
0: good. Brilliant. Happy to be here. Great, so good to have you. Uh, having just mentioned the dragon or dragon just then um, I sort of wanted to start off about that because that's a play without any words yeah and so obviously some people go to me but there's no words in it so how does that work with a writer and I think I understand what that is yeah having worked in theatre working in theatre but yeah talk to us about you, about how that works as far as your relationship to that play
1: um, well it was it was like any other play really at least it began in the, like any other play Uh Jamie Harrison and Candice uh, Edmonds from Vox Motis approached me in January 2010, I think it was, um, and they had this uh, this notion they wanted to play uh, about a little boy, um, about grief, uh, and about a dragon. And One of the first things they said to me was, oh, and we don't want any words. Now, I laughed at this because I thought, oh, that's funny, oh, You know, that's, they don't really mean it. I said, oh, we're going to have some words, obviously, and they were like, no, no, we really don't want any words. So it became my job to work out how I was going to write that because in the normal sense of things i was commissioned like normal um and i had all the sort of expectations of first draft second draft all that kind of thing so i had to work out the best way of doing it um and i definitely made a few false starts i remember i wrote a play which was just a normal script um which i sort of said oh well we'll just cut the lines as we go in rehearsals or something like that and everyone sort of politely said thanks but no thanks so i had to sort of start again um and that was an interesting experience I'm having to start again um the problem being is that there aren't very many models for this. Uh, there aren't ways uh, in sort of in the non-device theatre, in the in the playwriting tradition of writing plays without any words. There's a couple. Um, so obviously there's you know some Beckett, Samuel Beckett stuff, and there's uh, there's what's called the Request Program uh, by Franz Xavier Kurt- Kurtz. But that's very very naturalistic and very uh, very different from what we were trying to achieve. What I ended up with was a sort of of sort of inventing my own thing, which was uh, a play without words, which was somewhat—I suppose the best way to describe it—somewhere between a, a short story and a screenplay. Um, you had the descriptions uh, of every scene, of what happened in the scene, what the characters were feeling, what the characters were saying to each other, um, and what the dragons were dragon was doing, um, and that's. Uh, and so, from the, from the point of view of the actors and the director and the designer, we just went in with the full script. It was a seventy five page script, like anything else, um, and it had scenes and all that kind of stuff. I mean, for me, the key was working out why we didn't speak. It wasn't just enough that we didn't speak. The reason we didn't speak was because the main character, in his grief, had lost the ability to speak. So that, so from writing from his point of view, it made total sense. And then, you know, that's the way it worked.
0: So once you, once you unlock that reason.
1: Yeah. I mean, you ha- I think also the job, I always see the job as a writer is to sort of provoke the imagination of the director and the designer and the actors and everyone else who works there. Really, the writer is the first person, you know, you're the creator, but you're not necessarily, you're not, theatre is a collaborative art form, I see it as, anyway. And so, you're, so really your job is to sort of, to get into the heads and the imaginations of everyone who's working on it to make them do the most exciting things they wanted to do and so for example I wrote a scene for Dragon where uh, he was flying, uh, the, the, the character was flying on the back of the Dragon across the city of Glasgow, he could see people below sort of becoming smaller and smaller and he sort of, he left, he felt as he lifted off the ground he felt a sort of release of all his sadness and all his woe as he was going to the sky. And what happened was that Jamie Harrison as designer created this folding dragon, unfolding dragon, which all uh, seven actors uh, performed. And there was a sort of big smoke effect. There was a massive uh, sort of crescendo in the music from Tim Phillips. And, it sort of, and the moment was met by everyone's imaginations through having written that, you know, short, that short piece of thing, uh, text. And that's the kind of thing that I was going for, the sort of uh, a way in which I could enable everyone else to do their best work.
0: That's a really exciting way to look at it, actually, and because as as it, you write in lots of different ways, lots of forms, but some of the ways you write is as you just put it, as a co-creator. Uh, so you talk quite heavily then about collaborating.
1: Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think it's interesting. I think there's a culture where directors, especially directors, are interested in uh, in coming to you with what I would often call a half an idea or it's like something, and they want you to uh, roll with it. Um, and that's, uh, and I think that's you know the way that theatre is changing that the directors are taking it on themselves to sort of come up with uh, come up with at least uh, beginnings of things, um, and so I suppose that again I see my job as a way of enabling an idea to take you know to to take root and and to really sort of grow, um, and I sort of. I always feel there's there's, there's there's so many different ways to work. I've written for children, I've written for adults, I've written for radio. I'm just about to start working on an opera um, with uh, a composer called Gareth Williams. And, you know, that's a totally different way of working. So we're going to, you know, we've, we've talked about stuff and there's been bits of music written and there's been bits of words written and we're sort of working it out as we go along. And that's a totally different thing. So, um, but I, I suppose that it's about uh, matching the... Process to the people you're working with. So, you know, if I was working with you, I'd work in a different way than I would with Vox Motis. Again, differently if I was working with, uh, w- you know, um, w- with uh, Dougie Irvin at Visible Fictions. I, you know, all of these processes are different according to the people I'm working with. So, where do you,
0: if you have an idea in your head and when you get that amazing opportunity to have that, an idea that's just about you, when someone's not coming to you and saying, come thinking this way, but when it's just you having that, that joyful bit when do, how do you see things do you see because you have got that really practical theatrical sort of dramatist brain of going right I know how that's going to work on how to make a piece of theatre yeah do you see things when you start getting an idea do you quite quickly see things as a piece of theatre or do, do your first ideas come from somewhere
1: else that's a really good question um, I suppose I do think in story a lot but I also think very visually and images and also just problems I want to uh, solve so I'll just give you a couple of examples uh I was out running the other day, and I was running through the leaves. It was autumn, you know. It's autumn, so I was like running through these leaves, and I just had this idea about paper. And from that, this I, this imagery of paper, I came up with this whole sort of world and this narrative that, um, you know, I'm going to sell at some point. I'm sure. It's, it's this idea that I really like. That uh, too much. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, I'm not going to tell you too much. Uh, and then another thing I remember, um, it was. Uh, at the time of the student uh protests against uh, tuition fees and i was i i feel very passionate about uh education and uh and that it should be you know free to all um and i was sort of as outraged as the students about uh the fact that um, tuition fees have been hiked up so much especially the way that the lib dem uh members of the government had sort of flip-flopped on their promises and uh and so that sort of that sort of rage propelled me into work uh, a particular idea um that turned into a play called Ancient Greek which I wrote for Radio 4 um so you know so so, so so it's different things so sometimes it's imagery sometimes it's feelings and sometimes it's it is words um just is coming out but i have a i have a folder called ideas with ideas which is just like lots lots of different ideas because um i mean i write about four or five things a year um so i have to have like big stacks of them like ideas sort of, like Stashed away, or else otherwise, will run out of stuff. And do you uh, do you mix the ideas up? So if
0: you've, you're you're stuck on one commission for one company, and you think, oh, there's something else for this, and you go through and mix it in, or how does that? What happens to that file? You go to do you have a, do you, every idea. So after that run, did you come straight home, get the ideas file out, quickly write that thing about leaves and paper? Oh
1: yeah, I do sometimes. Yeah, I write, email myself. You know, I email myself, or I leave myself a voice message or something. I will go, remember this thing. Um, it's quite funny sometimes because I just find little bits of paper I found one saying uh, Australian schizophrenic woman on bus I just I don't know what that's for I have no memory of writing (laughs) that down but I have a note saying that that's a thing so I don't know maybe I'll remember one day and and I'll I'll use it but um, yeah I mean I think I think I mean ideas are often um, a, a mix of things coming together at the same time aren't they they're about your environment they're about the people you're with they're about how you're feeling um they're about the music you're listening to at that time and they just sort of uh, they combine in that particular moment to create uh something and i really like reacting to my environment and to the people i'm with rather than just uh you know um just holding on to my singular vision i think uh, for me writing isn't just about expressing myself it's about expressing something bigger than that uh so uh you know with the idea of
0: expressing you know Bigger and then going on a bit further than that. Would you say, in the simplest form, do you write because you're angry with the world or because you're happy with the world?
1: Gosh. I think it depends, doesn't it? I mean, I think it depends on what play, uh, what piece of work you're doing. Um, Sometimes, yeah, absolutely. Sometimes I write because I'm in love with the world. Absolutely, definitely. And sometimes I write it because I'm really annoyed at it. Sometimes I write because I'm scared of it. And I suppose... I write I think it's always interesting to write from fear uh as well because I think that's something that really those those are the feelings everyone has don't, you know aren't they? And, they and people respond to that um yeah, and I think sometimes you just write because because you you just feel the need to express. Stuff, I guess I mean you know it's sometimes it's as simple as wanting to have a conversation and trying stuff out I'm right I've just written a play I am writing a play about Scottish independence about which I feel quite sort of ambivalent and uh, I'm sort of that ambivalence is shown in that I'm sort of asking myself questions as well as wanting to ask uh, the audience questions And I think that's that's the way I sort of sometimes I just well, who is it who said that thing? Of, uh, Paul Clee said, "You know, a drawing was taking a line out for a walk." It's the same. Uh, it's the same thing for. Sometimes I'm just taking an idea out for a walk, as when it comes to writing. So I think that's that's the that's it.
0: And giving it room. Yeah. What? Um, when you have an, what, back to those ideas. When you have those ideas, do you do? When do you know? Because you've done quite a lot of work for young people. Yeah. Uh, do you know straight away that that's an idea for? For, for where it's going to go? When you look in that folder, does it say, oh, that could"?
1: Or, or as the audio develops, go, oh, that could... Well, that's a really interesting question. I mean, I think Dragon, for example, I suppose the way we sold Dragon was that it, it it was a play for young people and older people. But actually, the way that the Vox Moses came to me and the way I think of it is, is that it's a play for adults, which includes, in its audience potential, children. It's not a children's play. It's a play yeah, about, yeah. it's actually a play about quite adult feelings, but it, it's through the eyes of a child. So, so you include that. No, I don't really think that. Um, uh, I don't really think, I don't really think, I don't go this is for that or that is for this. And I think, for example, I did a play called Titus, uh, which is an adaptation of a a great Belgian play by a a, a writer called Jan Sabri. And, uh, And that's a play about, it's a comedy about suicide for 10 year olds. Now, if I try to pitch that to anyone, it's quite hard because people will be like, "Are you crazy? You can't write. You can't write a comedy about suicide for ten-year-olds." But I did, and you can, and it works. And um, sometimes you just. It, I, I'm I'm really much against this notion that um, you c- there are subjects for suitable for children and subjects suitable for adults. I think everything is suitable if it's good enough, if it's well done enough. Um, so you know, uh, I would quite happily write a play about sex for seven-year-olds if that was you know if if we if I had a really good idea for one. I don't think that that's uh, something that you should run away from. I think you should try and run a- towards those subjects actually. Um.
0: I don't know if I've told you before, Oliver. I adore Titus.
1: Oh, thanks, man. It's a yeah. really great piece of work. No, it's, uh, it's, it's I'm re- I'm really pleased with it. It's um, uh, it's no, it's uh, it's really fun. Um. Do you have no do you have like non theatrical influences? Yeah, I suppose I do. I mean, there are I would say that a lot of my friends and the way that my family are, you know, my relationships are a big influence on me. Um but in terms of like other artists, um Elvis Presley. I'm a massive Elvis fan. Um and that's I've always uh Elvis has been a sort of font of inspiration for me all, ever since I was a kid um, just I don't I don't know why just it just is a sort of I think his hipness and his don't careness and the fact that he sort of destroyed himself in a really epic way I kind of enjoy um, plus obviously uh, the suits um, and uh, who else um, I'm a big fan of Radiohead and I remember sort of especially in my late 20s I used to sort of go if I ever got stuck on a piece of work I'd go what would Radiohead do now and it sort of worked quite well because obviously they just change the tempo and they're bring in a different beat or something like that, and hopefully that's a really good answer to how to tell a story um in i mean I kind of like uh it sounds really strange, but um there's also something to me I'm, I'm always going for uh, simplicity and clarity and what what is the simplest way of communicating a particular thing and in, in, you know and I, this sounds really bizarre, but um a, a major sort of thing I think about a lot of the time is Italian food. I love Italian food. And actually, the simplicity of that, of having all these brilliant ingredients and just putting them on a plate in the right order is the thing that actually really works as a sort of... And there's something amazing about cooking, isn't there, about the way that cooking is very much a theatrical experience. You know, there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a starter, there's a main course, and then there's a dessert, or there's maybe something else afterwards. And it sort of has that three-act structure, which I like, and which I think is quite fun. And it also... You know, you spend you might spend all day making a meal, and then it's over in an hour, or less than, and... It's all gone, and you know, and then all there is left is the memory, and I quite enjoy that, and I kind of I think there's something quite fun to that. So yeah, so cookery, I guess. Um, and in terms of, I mean, I, I go through phases of uh, of different sort of art th- uh, uh, that I I love, and I go back to, and I suppose that again, I sort of go for the simple things. So whether it be something like Rothko and uh, something like Jackson Pollock, some abstract stuff, um, but um, I suppose I kind of like the joyfulness of Matisse. Um, where it's sort of like, it's about colour and it's about joy and it's about hope, rather than just sort of looking at the sort of despairing side of life.
0: And do you work hard in your work
1: to make sure that you are being as hopeful as you can? I think that, it's really funny, I worked, I've worked. i done a lot of work with vulnerable young people, so I've worked with, uh, I, I was BBC writer in residence with Radio 4 and uh, Children in Need in 2010, And I worked for six months with a group of uh, runaways, people, kids who'd run away, and in a refuge that they had in Glasgow, and these kids had appalling lives. They had like I remember meeting one girl who'd um, who'd run away because uh, her mum had chucked her out for being pregnant, uh, and her boyfriend had beaten her up for being pregnant, and she was one of the funniest, most cheerful people I'd ever met, and I remember being sort of blown away by that. Not only by um, the fact that she sort of she you know she sort of she knew that she knew what was wrong in her life absolutely, but she also knew that there was something there was potentially something better. And I suppose that I think that if there are people, if there are children like that who can show such sort of bravery in the face of in the face of disaster, then I don't see why I have the right to offer only darkness as a as a writer. Um, and I you know again and I worked in prison for I worked in Pullman Young Offenders working with um, the inmates there uh, writing two plays for them with Visible Fictions Theatre Company and again there was a sort of there was there was a lot there you know there was a lot of light there as well as dark and prisons are some of the grimmest places you're ever going to be but actually I, I suppose that in the darkest places I've been, there is always light. So I suppose I, whatever you're trying to write about, there is that possibility, I suppose. But I also think, I also think there's a tendency to, you know, in playwriting to go dark, to, you know, to go dark and, and, and stay there. And, I, but I hate theatrical experiences where there are, there are sort of, there's no glimmer of light. And I've just, you know, it's someone telling me something sad and making it sad and then leaving me sad and then walking away. I just, don't really see the point in that. I don't see that that takes me anywhere. It's not a journey. That's just a sort of state, and it's a bit dull as a theatrical experience for me.
0: There's no pudding at the end, is there? No.
1: I mean, even in even in Godo, you know, sort of Godo and Wait for Godo or Endgame and stuff like that. There's still a lot of joy and laughter and all that kind of stuff. And you know, if Becky can do stuff, then everyone else can too. She's got to try harder.
0: <laughs> we must all try harder.
1: You talked then about uh, not having the right.
0: To do something, and I was just about that idea. Do you feel that as playwrights, that there you have a responsibility or a, a purpose, like a role in the world, and what is that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think if you, do, I think, I think at this time when there's questions about funding and there's questions about our role in society or whether whether theatre functions or whether it has a a role to play within a, a you know society, um, you've got to you've got to believe that stories have power and that um that what we do matters um because we could be doing like lots of other things um and other people and the audiences could be doing other things more importantly you know why should they come and spend an hour in a dark space with you unless you've got something interesting to say um yeah so i think no i absolutely i believe i mean if we've got to justify ourselves um to our governments often um but i think we have to justify each other to ourselves and to, and to our audiences every day. Um, but I think the the role of uh, telling stories and uh, and and enlightening and entertaining ourselves is something that um, is something really valuable. And and and, and again, I don't want to go too heavy on it. But um, I was I can't remember. I was I, I think I had this thought about you know the way that lots of things are taken from. The ground, like you know, you you know, a builder builds a house from brick and everything like that. That uh, that an artist really does uh, art is one of the only things that human beings really add to the world. You know, we come into the world and uh, we you know we change things, we move stuff around, but actually we don't really add to it. Art is something you can actually really give. You know, it really adds to the to our existence. Um, and you look at you know, you look at the sort of dictatorships around the world or whatever, and places where the freedom isn't allowed. And one of the first things they repress is the theatre. So uh, you know, I think it's something we you know there's a there's a power to us what's what we do. Wow.
0: Well, what? Um, just to change tack now. Yeah. Uh, I'm always interested to know what sort of hobbies a writer has. <laughs> what do you have?
1: Um, well, I st- I stopped smoking about two years ago. I stopped smoking about two years ago, which was a really miserable experience um, because I love smoking. Smoking was brilliant. Um, that was my hobby for a good fifteen years of my life. Um, but like a lot of addicted smokers, I gave up and I started running. Um, and I sort of love and hate running. Uh, and it sort of it does make me thinner, and it is one of those things where I do feel better after doing it. But it's also sort of horrible because it hurts and it's like. You know, and you, and you have to wear stupid clothes. Well, I'm not, you know, it's you know, the lycra and stuff. It doesn't really my thing. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's a... Uh, so What else do I do? Hobbies and stuff. Well, um... Cause running doesn't quite feel like a hobby. It feels like something you have to do. Yeah, you know? yeah. It doesn't sound like something I'm sp- really
0: enthusiastic about. As an ex-smoker as well, there is a lot of joy in smoking. I get that. Yeah, that's just yeah, about yeah. you giving yourself yeah. pleasure. But I know there, there is a lot of pleasure in running. Yeah. But I want something that's more about you. Oh, wow. Is there?
1: I don't know. I don't know, actually. It's funny. Um it sounds really naff doesn't it but i read a lot and i really enjoy reading but i read stuff that's nothing to do with what i what i write the golden thing that's the ticket you read
0: bad fiction or whatever it is
1: absolutely terrible fiction spy fiction uh romantic fiction sometimes why not historical fiction um i also read some good things as well but um i read a lot of rubbish because that's you know that's that's how you have fun isn't it sometimes
0: it's vital
1: yeah
0: what um if you had to give the next if you were to pass away, which hopefully happened for a very, very long time. Thanks, man. And then in your top pocket, in your breast pocket, we would to find a small envelope, a small brown envelope, approximately three and a half inches long. And we'll open the envelope and there was let's say a sentence that was passing on a piece of advice to the next generation of writers. What would that sentence say?
1: Oh, I think it um I think it would be actually just three letters. It'd be KBO, which was uh, Winston Churchill's favourite um saying which means keep buggering on <laughs> uh and winston churchill was uh was it, was it was the liberal mp for dundee for 20 years which most people don't know but he was um and if you go to dundee rep theater which i've done a number of times uh, there's a there's a hotel where he used there was a big plaque saying where he stayed um but uh, yeah i'm actually quite a big winston churchill fan bizarrely but kbo is quite good brilliant fixed it
0: Oli Emanuel, I can't thank you enough for the last 20 minutes of my life. Thank you. Cheers. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from the Traverse Theatre Edinburgh, For more information, please log on to www.traverse.co.uk.